Each of the Gospels in the New Testament is like a unique dwelling structure. They have their own floor plan and a unique footprint and a unique room layout, if we can compare it to existing homes. Recently, our son Kevin and his husband James bought a century home outside German Village. And this is in a neighborhood of Columbus where there's old homes, uh, think Lakewood, think of those type of uh, communities where you have old structures, uh, it's big, and when Esty went down to help them uh, sort through things and get organized and so forth, she says it had a whole different feel than their other house. So they moved from New Albany uh, outside Columbus, and it was kind of a typical two-story house on a slab and it was vinyl-sided, and it was beautiful. It had uh, an, a wonderful staircase that goes up to a bonus room above the garage and a little landing that they use kind of as an office or a reading space and so forth. Uh, but when they decided they wanted to move into a century home, uh, this home had been flipped, so it has obviously all updated things in it, but it has a completely different feel to it. And so when I'm telling you this story for this reason, these two homes, whether the one in New Albany or the one in Columbus, they have a lot in common. They both have furnaces and running waters and bathrooms and kitchens, and they even have some of the same type of furnishings like beds and chairs and tables, but it looks different, it feels different, and even some of the pieces of furniture that they will place in an old home will be much different than the more contemporary type of stuff maybe that they had in their other home. Now the reason I'm using this as an illustration, this is how the Gospels are, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They have a lot in common, and yet at the same time, they have a lot of uniqueness to them and we started a series uh, last week, and I appreciate Corey kicking off the series as he was talking about uh, the Gospel of Matthew in this series called Advent Invitations, How Each Gospel Houses the Christ. So last week, you stepped into Matthew's Gospel, and you were probably very familiar with it because it has a lot of the common components of the nativity story, okay? So you have wise men, you have shepherds, you have Mary, you have Joseph, etc. Today, we're coming to the Gospel of Mark, and it has none of that. No Mary, no Joseph, no stable, uh, no angels, and yet at the same time, this Gospel contributes something very interesting to the Advent story, the coming of Christ into the world. So here we are in these gospel homes, and we are invited in to look around. And as we do so, what we see is that while Mark ignores things like angels and shepherds and wise men and the angels, um, what we find uh, is that to him, the most important thing was the beginning of the gospel. That's a unique phrase. So if you have a Bible or if you want to take one out of the pew in front of you, I want you to turn open to Mark chapter 1, and that's where we're going to spend a few minutes today, in chapter 1 of Mark. And this is how he begins 
his gospel. He says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So in that first opening phrase, he jumps right to the adult ministry of Jesus, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, when he says the beginning, it seems kind of strange. It would be kind of like if I stood up this morning and said, now I'm going to start my sermon. You say, well, just start. You don't need to say you're going to start your sermon. So why is he talking about the beginning? Well, the reason for Mark is that to him, this whole idea of the good news of the coming of Christ begins not with the angels, doesn't begin with the shepherds, doesn't begin with the wise men, but he begins with this strange figure named John the Baptist. And then what he does in verse 2, he immediately quotes the Old Testament. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, and this is what we just read out of Isaiah chapter 40. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, and make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. For Mark, it all begins with John the Baptist. He is seen as a herald. He is seen as a messenger. He is seen as one that's preparing the way. He's the one that's bringing the mountains low and lifting up the valleys, trying to make it easy for people to understand the message, or as he proclaims here, the good news. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. And the good news begins with the messenger. So I want to ask a couple of questions this morning. And the first question I want to ask is, when does the gospel begin? Well, most of us will say it begins when the angels proclaim, for unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. We'll get to that next week, because the Luke gospel is the Charlie Brown gospel, if you watch the Charlie Brown special. But the good news begins with a messenger that's making a proclamation that one is coming that we should prepare for. And so what he's doing is he's calling to people to get ready, prepare your heart. And so what happens next is the baptism of Jesus. Look at verse 4. It says, And so John came, baptizing in the desert region, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. So he stood out in a crowd, right? He was obvious that he was living a different kind of life than the rest of the community. And here's his message, verse 7. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth, where he grew up, up in Galilee to the north by the Sea of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my Son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert and he was in the desert forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals and angels attended him. So what a strange way to begin this gospel. This is the beginning of the gospel. There is one that is coming that is going to prepare the way. And when he comes, he's going to call upon people to repent. Now, that's a word that means basically change their mind about the way they're trying to live their life or maybe the expectations that they have about life. And so he's calling these people to get ready. And as he does so, here comes Jesus. And he comes in to the ministry of John the Baptist, and he submits himself to the baptism of John, which is interesting. He identifies, he resonates with the people who realized, you know how cluttered our hearts and minds can become. And so John was calling people to be baptized, which is a symbolism of being washed clean. And in the Jordan River, there's a community that gathers around that says, we're preparing our heart for the coming of what the prophets promised. So many prophets in the Old Testament gave allusion to the fact that there is one that is coming. The one that is going to come will be the Messiah, the one that the nation of Israel had been looking for so that they might be delivered from the oppression that they had been under for many, many years. And so Jesus comes along, and as he comes up out of John's baptism, the heavens open up. It's not the angels making a proclamation. It is a voice from heaven itself that says, this is my son, and I'm well pleased with him. And so here in this beginning of waiting, John the Baptist is the one who has been waiting for a period of time because he knew about Jesus long before this. I'll get to that in a moment. What Mark is doing is he's preparing people Because he has been prepared. So I ask the question here, why no Christmas story? Well, the first thing is, Mark is a very quick gospel. So if you ever want to get an overview of the life of Christ, and you want to do so fairly quickly, Mark is the shortest of all four gospels. He's very succinct, and he gets right to the point. Have any of you known people like that? They don't mince words. They just kind of get right to the point. That's Mark. He gets right to the point. And he is more about action than reaction. Now, what I mean by that, when you listen to the other nativity stories, you'll, the focus is a lot on the way people responded. So think about Mary. God comes to her and says, you're going to have a baby. Who am I? that I should bear God's son. The angel comes to Joseph. Mary's pregnant. And he's about ready to divorce her and move on from her. And the angel says, no, no, no. Take her as your wife. And he reacts accordingly. The angels come to the shepherds and they're overjoyed. There's a star that appears in the sky and the magi come and in worship lay gifts down at the foot of the toddler Jesus, because this is 
a number of months after he's already been born. So the other Gospels seem to focus on the reaction of the characters in the story, not Mark. He's more about action. And so Mark gets to this point, and here is the important part of what he's trying to communicate. The birthing of a whole new world is being accomplished in the person of Christ. The birthing of a different kind of world that we live in is being accomplished through the coming of Christ. And in case people missed it, that's why he quotes Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 here, so that they know this is in sync with what has been said in the Old Testament. But why John the Baptist? Why is he the one that is chosen to prepare the way? Well, in Mark's gospel, Advent is connected not so much to Bethlehem. We make a big deal about that in our nativity sets. We make a big deal about that in our traditions. But in Mark's gospel, John the Baptist is the embodiment of what it means to wait on God to do something, wait for God to move. So Advent means coming. So we talked about this this past Wednesday night a little bit. We talked about the fact that the idea of coming is the expectation of those, especially in the New Testament, that Jesus came once and he will come again to set up his kingdom. Well, the Greek word for that is parousia, but when the Bible was translated from Greek into Latin, the Roman Catholic Church, it was translated with the word adventus, and that's where we get the word advent. It basically means coming. So it is this expectation. Well, John kind of knew all along. In fact, here's a passage you're more familiar with in the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke. We see in chapter 1, verse 39, that after Mary discovers that she's pregnant, she also hears that her relative, Elizabeth, is also pregnant. So Mary decides that she is going to visit her relative, Elizabeth, and that's where this passage picks up. Listen closely, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord has said to her what will be accomplished. How did John know that Jesus was the Messiah? He had this in-the-womb experience. Quite remarkable when you think about it. That when this baby in the womb, heard the voice of Mary, he leaped for joy, is the way that Luke portrays this. And I think what this is saying is basically this. John was set apart from the womb to be the one that he knew all along 
was the Messiah. But you know something? John too had to wait, just like you and me. Think about this. During all his growing up years, seeing Jesus, maybe he thought to himself, I wonder if this is going to be the year he starts his earthly ministry. No. I wonder if this is going to be the year that he starts his earthly ministry. No. Jesus does not start his earthly ministry until he's 30 years old. So that's a lot of waiting, isn't it? And so here we are in the middle of our lives, and you might be waiting for something. I don't know what it is. You're waiting on God to do something. And you wish he would hurry up, right? Come on, God, get with it. But part of Advent is allowing God to work within his own timing. And God is out ahead of us, waiting on us to catch up as we look to him and wait for his prompting and his provisions. Now, God used a rather remarkable man to be the embodiment of Advent. Think about John. Think about how alarming it would be to see a man in camel hair with a leather belt eating locusts. Think about this man who probably was a bit disheveled because he lived almost a monastic type of life. It's believed that John the Baptist was a part of a a monastic type of community called the Essenes, which was the group that copied uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in 1947. But what we find is, here is this man wearing animal skins, eating insects that God has chosen to be the herald for the coming of Christ and the beginning of his earthly ministry. So here he is. He stands there gaunt and unruly, utterly out of sync with his age and our age and any age, but he knew something from the womb. There was something that he knew his whole life. And what we find is this in-the-womb reaction of joy was such that John knows each day that he lives that it's getting closer, it's getting closer, it's getting closer. And what we find is Mark is the one that begins with John because John is the one who finally sees God break into the moment and start a new thing. So Mark will go on in his gospel and he will talk about the mission of Jesus when Jesus himself says this in Mark chapter 10 verse 45, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. John is the embodiment of Advent. He is the one who steps into the public spotlight. He is the one that proclaims that Jesus, the Messiah, is the Lamb of God. That's John's gospel. So John will pick that up in chapter 1 and say about John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, as we come back to Mark chapter 1, there's so many important words that are in chapter 1. Beginning, the word gospel, which means good news. The introduction of Jesus himself into our time and space. The fact that he is the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not his surname. I'm Larry Poza, first name, surname, right? Right? Christ is a title. 
which means Messiah, anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one. He submits himself to the baptism of John as a way of saying they are in sync with each other in what God is doing in the world. There's this voice from heaven that says he's the son of God. And then he goes into the wilderness to be tempted. Where Jesus must wait. Jesus has his own advent before beginning his earthly ministry where for 40 days and 40 nights he goes without food and he is tempted by Satan as if Satan is going to get him to give up on his mission to be a servant. Well, then in verse 15, it says in Mark chapter 1 that this is when Jesus steps into the moment. And as he steps into the moment, here is what he says. In verse 14 of Mark 1, it says, After John was put in prison, oh, what, what? He's been waiting all this time. He sees Jesus step into the moment and he gets arrested. That's a whole other story because he was politically uh, critical of the Roman leaders of that time. But that's a different story. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Here's the good news. The good news is bigger than the promise of eternal life and going to heaven after you die. Here's what it is. He tells us, verse 15, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent, change the way you think about life, believe the good news. So the time has come for the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is living a different type of way than the world in which we live. So can we celebrate Christmas without the crib, the shepherds, the angels, and the wise men? Absolutely. But the other gospel accounts won't let us do it because that's an important part of the story. But Mark's part of the story is interesting that we are people that are living in between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. And what we do is we live in step with the kingdom of God in the here and now. The German theologian Karl Barth once said this, what other season can or will the church ever have than that of Advent? We are always waiting. We are always anticipating. And I imagine John was quite confused. Don't you think when he was arrested that he was utterly confused at that moment, right? I thought you were the Messiah. If you're the Messiah, why am I stuck in prison? And I think in moments in our life, we, when we anticipate God is going to do something and we're waiting on it, we get confused when God takes a different route than the one we would take, right? That's not the way I would do it, God. I would go the shortest line between two points. And that's not the way God travels, Sometimes he travels in and around and out and about before he gets to that point. But here is the message of Advent. Advent is God breaking into history in his time and in his way. And as we long for it and wait for it, he comforts us and strengthens us until the turn of the ages has come. And that is what John the Baptist is all about. The promise that the turn of the ages has come and what we do is we live by faith that God will indeed bring about his will upon earth. So what is the proper response of the human being when God suddenly appears? Well, John says it's to rethink the way you're living. 
And so John the Baptist starts at the edge of the universe, and what we find is he steps into time, and what we find is this old age that all of mankind has been living in prior to Christ is passing away, and a new age is coming to being. And what does that look like? Well, let's go back to Isaiah for a moment. What is it in your life that needs lowered or raised up? You see, when Jesus comes, we find that in some lives, what he does is he makes a highway for us to travel, and he promises that he will be with us, and those obstacles that are in the way Well, when you meet up with valleys, he will raise it up. When you meet mountains, he will lower these. You understand, don't you? This is all figurative speech, right? Okay? This is all metaphorical type language. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged place become a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. There will come a day when we will all finally understand That God has been active out ahead of us, even when we couldn't see it. And so we look back. We look at the prophecy. We look at the promises. It is to prompt us to remember that what happened in the past is happening in the present and beyond the present into the future. And while we wait on it, God walks with us. And he lifts up those that are in the valley. He brings those haughty, arrogant people on the top of the mountain down. And what we find is John's role is to point to Christ. And every nativity set is incomplete until we add John to it. Because John's message about the coming of Christ is about the turning of the ages and the promises of the age to come. So if I can summarize John in this way as I close, here's how I would do it. If you were to read the entire biography of John as found in the Gospels, there are four phrases that John uses. Number one, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We look to Jesus as our Savior. Number two, when those came out to see him baptizing, asked if he was the Messiah, he said this, secondly, I am not the Messiah. I'm not. I'm only the forerunner. Thirdly, he said when he finally saw Christ, he must increase, I must decrease. And I think he could only receive what heaven had given him. He only could receive what heaven had given him. From the time of the womb, he accepted what God had given as an act of grace. And so he carried it out. It eventually cost him his life. He's martyred. But I'm going to tell you something. He opened up a whole new world for the rest of the world to see that Jesus is the Son of God, the living one, the loving one. Would you stand with me, please, as we we can um, come to the time of communion. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for the elements. And like we did last month, I'm going to have you just come by, okay, and pick these up and just hold them uh, until everybody has the bread and the cup. Again, there is the square 
uh, cracker-looking type that is gluten-free, and then there's the oyster crackers that are gluten up here. And what I hope you'll do is just take a moment and realize that we're a part of a community that is still waiting for the full expression of God to be felt, not only in our personal life, but as a church and as the community of Christ across the globe. Let me pray for our time of communion, and then after communion, we will close in prayer.